Much music documentary, 299 Queen Street. There weren't any studios. You did the shows inside of the workspace. I realized at the beginning there was nothing that we wouldn't do or play. There was no script. There was no direction. There was nothing like this in the world. The very first time I walked into the building, it hit me like I need to be here. I was this kid who was this huge fan. Now I'm here. Now I'm a part of it. Just talking about it right now gives me goosebumps. It was live TV, and as soon as that shot was over, it was halfway to Mars. never be so far removed from the audience because they were right there looking at you. Welcome to Black Exposed with Sandra Tyler, KW's first and Canada's only show on primetime FM radio with black content and all black Canadian music. You just heard the trailer from the documentary 299 Queen Street. Infamous Michael Williams from Much Music and creator of Soul of the City. He's co-hosting in this exclusive one-hour special. He's going to chat about his life and the new Much Music doc 299 Queen Street in theaters this fall. Today in stereo, this is the nation's music station, Much Music. My, my goal was to just impart some information. You might share some of the experiences. In my, my favorite at the time was getting into the Holland days with Sail on Sailor, which was my second favorite Beach Boys record. And uh, I realized at the beginning there was nothing that we wouldn't do or play. On, on Much Music, like what you're not. There, there, there weren't any studios. You did the shows inside of the workspace from much music and he was magnificent okay electric boogaloo all right here yeah, for all the b-boys all the b-girls all the flat people everybody everybody is everything uh, uh, uh right here is chris honorary mike williams you are ready to rock I said hey i know exactly what you guys need and it wasn't really my name is michael Williams. my experiences are no different from yours at the end of the day and someone will have that same experience you go yeah i'll have that problem too how did you get over it because uh, i got over it that might help somebody out we talked to friends from around the world and if we got you we got just about everybody what's up i'm here to tell you simply soul in the city and much music rules every single day of the week we have got to stop the violence by all means necessary my name is krs1 peace dj welcome back to black exposed co-hosting with me tonight is michael williams the legendary pioneer of tv (laughs) radio and the international music scene he's best known as one of the original vjs for much music and the creator of the infamous soul in the city syndicated in 19 european countries and japan Michael was an integral host of Rap City on Much, where he broke the 
legendary hip-hop artist from the late 80s to the early 90s and still continues. He's a radio pioneer, having worked for Chum FM Toronto and syndicated weekly radio show Soul in the City Live with former Sting collaborator Vix. He's the Toronto Harbour Front Centre 2014 Legacy Award winner and the owner of Black Rose Recording Studios. And I'm not done yet, Michael. <laughs> keep he's, going, keep going. He's also a regular music critic and contributor for TV news outlets and a teacher at Trebus Institute of Music. Did that, did that. But here's my favorite part. Wait for it. He's a musician and mm. he's a chef. Chef and Michael a producer. Williams. And, and a, producer. a producer. And a music producer. I produce a bunch of stuff for a lot of different, for friends. Well, yeah, I did some of that stuff. I did all that stuff and a whole lot more. Uh, the interesting thing, too, is that I haven't written, I'm working on the book. So until I get the book, people don't really know. Uh, they don't really have an idea. They have. I existed, as I was saying to you, black culture and black music particularly exist in silos across the country. You've got you've got Newfoundland, then you've got the East Coast, then you've got Toronto, Montreal, Ottawa, and it's almost like they're little silos, like that TV show, and things go on in those silos that the other people don't know because of distance, because of lack of communication, because of culture lack of cultural communication, lack of exposure. They don't have the tools, even though they have the, to the internet and you can talk to the world and all of that. But in the beginning days of rap, before it was hip-hop 40 years ago, um, we just celebrated in Montreal my show, Club 980 slash Soul in the City. That's where the name and the concept and everything came from. Actually, the concept of Soul in the City is something that I developed when I was like a kid. It was the dream of what I wanted to do, but it was also how I related to music with me and my friends as we shared it and played it and whatever. Uh, but without writing that book, people don't really know. So I applaud you for knowing anything because I don't have a lot of stuff out there. If you haven't seen the last thing I did or the thing I did before, you may not know. But with much music, it started to get onto videotapes. And now with the film coming out and the roots of hip hop in Quebec in French, which is going to be a web series, also, it is a book. So with those things coming out, people will begin to know. And uh, uh, Sean has inspired me to do a little bit more filming and stuff myself to sort of document some of the things that I've done personally, giving me uh, an outlet to talk to an audience or to explain what I did. It's mostly to explain what I did, not what I'm doing. First of all, congratulations on everything that you've done and the upcoming documentary to 99 Queen Street West, which is launching uh, September 22nd uh, in Toronto. There's screenings, followed by a Q&A, which mm -hmm. you have been heavily involved in this documentary. To be quite honest, I uh, I said no in the beginning. When they asked me to do it, Erica called me and I said no. And then I think she called again and I said, well, maybe I'll talk to them. Then I talked to them and I said no, 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 no. And they said, well, maybe we should meet and stuff like that. And I'm going, okay over coffee at Starbucks it was pandemic time and Sean a very nice guy a really wonderful young man 
and uh, his he's uh, the, he, Sean's the director, guys. He's yes, Sean Menard oh, yes. from Tor- Sean from Menard, Hamilton. Yes, from Hamilton is the director. He did the film on Vince Carter. Great that he did that, and now he's taking that same uh, method and that same approach to much music. He was uh, he wasn't particularly a fan, but his producer, his wife, was uh, a fan, and and that's how it began. So I had my meeting with Sean, an executive producer, and I still said no. And as we sat down, had coffees, it was kind of like, uh, first thing he said was, I didn't really know who you were. And I said immediately, Sean, you're not winning me over here. Okay. Like, you know, don't try too hard, but still no. And so he said, uh, your name kept coming up. And I said, okay, it would. I worked there, you know. And uh, he says, no, but it kept coming up and coming up and coming up. And I started to watch your tapes and stuff and get a feel of what you were and who you were and what you were doing. So that brings us all to here. And I said, well, that's really great. I'm glad you like my work and everything. No. And there was something he said at the end of the meeting. At the end of the meeting, he uh, showed me that he possessed the same commitment that I I do to everything that I do. He said, look, uh, just to let you know, I put up my house to do this film. And I said, now that's rock and roll. So you're going to go do that? You're going to go do it that way? I'll go to war with you and we'll fight this battle together. And what do you want to do next? And I said, yes. And then we immediately did my portion a few weeks later. And people should know there is no look at me now because you won't see this face in the film like this. You'll see a much younger and possibly depending on your age, you may say a much handsomer me in the film. But I think I kind of shine right now. Okay. And still uh, sexy. Hey, you're still sexy as hell. Don't don't fret. Thank you, baby. I needed that. You know what I mean? I I needed that. Yeah. You know, when you get a certain age, people don't say that to you much anymore. We did my part. We came over to Black Rose Studio and we recorded my part. And the way he does his films is that I added voice tracks. I added an interview. My performance is an interview uh, about much music, about myself and about what we did there and why we did it there. And uh, sort of the raison d'etre of the whole thing, if you will, uh, en français. I thought it was good. I thought I, I really enjoyed talking to him. I really had a good time with him. I think that he really uh, found some things out about me and I let some things come out. Even doing that, I still saved enough material for the book, right? Nice. And the book is a trilogy because it's really about my life. It's sort of breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And Sean got some of the lunch. And um, I haven't seen the film, so I can't really tell you about the film. I can only tell you what I did and I haven't even I mean I tried to watch the trailer but then I went nah I want to be just like you and everybody else I want to walk in and be surprised because I've never seen myself I've been in other films right I'm I'm in the Garland Jeffries film Jay Douglas Errol Star Crack of Dawn which is now showing on yeah. Hollywood Suite um, which is like four years ago me and Headley Deadly Headley Jones my, my good buddy and Crack of Dawn worked with him oh did you really I you did. survived, did you, baby? You I, I love that man. I love that man. <laughs> I talk to Headley every couple of weeks from Las Vegas where he's having the time of his life. I don't know if he went to Burning Man this year. Normally around this time, he's at Burning Man. And uh, if he 
went to Burning Man this year, he ain't telling nobody because he might still be walking home to Vegas. Okay, we're stuck. We're stuck on a mountain, and Headley wouldn't be stuck. He'd be partying his face off on the top of a mountain. You know Headley. I know Headley. We had an epic night. Me, Headley, and Chris Shepard with Flavor Flav at CFNY after the Public Enemy concert. We ripped that shit up, and Flav was just amazing. This is before he became Foofy Foofy. And all of that. This is before, you know, what was that show we had? Uh, Something of Love or whatever. You know, Flavor of Love, I think it was called. And uh, the dating one. Oh, that was. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. The dating one where there was there was some. I I won't even talk. See, if you saw that, I saw that. That's enough. She's shaking her head. That's all you need to know about that show. Okay. And uh, so we spent some epic nights together. And Headley is an incredible friend. His father, Deadly Headley Sr., built all the studios in Jamaica and the very first double neck guitar. He played with Ernest Wranglin. His father was on bass. Ernest Wranglin was on guitar. And uh, he's a wonderful, wonderful man. There's a great book out about his dad, Deadly Headley Sr., and what he did down in Jamaica and for the Jamaica. He was the Jamaican music scene. There was no Jamaican music scene without Deadly Headley Sr. and Lee Perry and all those people. But Deadly Headley Sr. built the studios. Deadly Headley Jr. produced the very first FM record. Okay? That's right. The very first at CBC. So he's my brother in arms always. And uh, and the fact that you survived working with him, you must have a plaque on your wall or some shit like that. (laughs) No, you know what? He would always give me very sound advice when I worked at Energy 108. Okay. I I would go into the studio when he was on and I'd stay late and I always felt like everyone in the studio was larger than life because they were and I was just starting out and he always made time for me he would always say hey Sandra what's going on I have a picture of me and Headley because once I flew down because after I left much music I went back to my hometown of Montreal which I love and I'm thinking about going back there again I spent some time up there in June I just want to spend more time all outside of Toronto because I'm not a Toronto guy I my first job other than DJing um, I had a very popular I had the mobile unit it was me Harry Cloda and somebody a couple about three or four big mobile units but we ruled the West End that was our territory you come in the West it was Jason Stan and company we were killers we were like we weren't DJs we were a band we just happened to play records instead of instruments at that time instruments moved in later and it was just absolutely great but um, I also uh, have a career in Vancouver because that was the very first place that, you know, paid me cash to do anything in music. In Montreal, I DJed and that's how I got through university. Then later on, I worked at 1234 Club. I did lighting. I'm a laser. I'm a licensed laserist. I'm a certified nerd. Okay. I'm a certified nerd. With much music, I was able to bring much music was sort of like the um, funnel. Much music was was like a funnel and everything I was and everything I wanted to be I could pour it in there and there might be some space for it or something like that if it wasn't I just put it to the side like I produced and I co-produced the nylons and I produce other music most people don't know I the most recent thing would have been Herb Alpert with Willie Williams and Sly and Robbie and uh, with Robbie Shakespeare and Sly Dunbar probably uh, not one of the last tracks that Sly Dunbar played on but 
um, I mean, that Robbie Robbie Shakespeare played on. It was definitely a great track with him there. And Herb Alpert, which I mean, you know, he's 88 and he called me up and it was just an amazing experience. Most people don't know that I do that. Uh, in the much music years, you might have seen me singing twice. Uh, once with Platinum Blonde at Ontario Place, another time with Ray Goodman and Brown. I did Special Lady with them. I don't know if that's going to appear in the film. I really wish that it, I hope that it does. Uh, then I taught uh, Seal how to play Closer to Home by Grand Funk Railroad, one of my favorite songs from I remember uh, that. Remember that? I remember uh, yeah, that. Yeah, it was yeah. golden. Yeah, that was great. And uh, and then hanging out with Terrence Trent Darby, Quincy Jones, uh, the Roberts, Robert Plant and Robert Palmer were excellent. And I don't know how much of this gets into the film, but the thing that this does is that Sean has given us license to be again because the music industry kind of forgot about the importance of much music and the unimportance of them. Uh, we can tell that the music industry is unimportant because it is that proverbial dog that chases a tail, its tail and eats itself. I think it's at the head now. <laughs> you know, as the eagle oh, said, yeah. is, the, is the head dead yet? <laughs> and, uh, and much music, we were the friends of music. We were the compadres of music. We took it upon ourselves to put a face to the names and to make it three-dimensional, which was why I joined Much Music because they all felt about much. They all felt about music the same way I did. I felt that the big problem with black music in Canada was that it was looked at as a one or two-dimensional thing. Whether it was Oliver Jones, Oscar Peterson, Sonny Greenwich, my favorite living Canadian guitarist ever, who was also Miles Davis's favorite living guitarist ever, and he would come around, Sonny, join my band. If you looked at them, if you looked outside of the CBC, because the CBC has wonderful footage on the history of black music, not so much Canadian black music, but some Canadian black music. Like they've got wonderful footage on um, my partner and uh, in crime as well, who's gone, Jackie Matu. He did a bunch of albums for airports across Canada. Nobody even knew this, but he did the music for airports. And uh, that's the great Jackie Matu from Studio One doing instrumental wow. albums for airports. So black musicians, especially Canadian musicians or musicians that came to Canada were looked at as being one dimensional. And if anything, I have at least three to five dimensions to me. So I said, well, if I can represent me, I can represent them. And let's put a name, a face to it. And that's what we were doing with Canadian music, period. Didn't matter what color or what style or what genre they were. This was about Canadian music. And if you could make it to us, unlike a record company who only wanted to exploit you, if you could make it to us, we were going to exploit you in a more friendly, fun way. First, we were going to have some food there and drinks for you and stuff like that. Second, we were going to give you a green room. Third, if you brought the videotape and it was, and even if it wasn't worth playing, we played it because we know your whole block is going to be watching it at home in Newfoundland or over in Saskatchewan or wherever you may be. Then your parents or friends are going to watch it because they're going, look, the lesson's paid off, Madge, <laughs> you know? And then anybody 
else you can convince or interest and maybe somebody saw it and said wait a minute I'd like to see that again the thing is with much music in those days is that you had to wait right and I was the kid who always waited much music was such a dream for me I started that dream when I was a child when I was like six seven years old I knew what I wanted to be my mom always said what do you want to be you want to be a crumb bum or you want to be a somebody that's before Jesse Jackson said I am somebody so I had dreams I go to bed with my comic books my flashlight covers over my head and just a mind full of dreams that had nothing to do with the restrictions of being black that had nothing to do with the restrictions of being male I I guess I learned about it because the school that I went to was a riot zone so uh, much music was really a dream for me because as I listened on my crystal radio at night to CKLW in Detroit in Cleveland or I listened to WJMO or WABQ and the jock said and and if what is it the Lord don't come and the creek don't rise I'll see you tomorrow right now I gotta slide and to me that was the beginning of hip hop but the most important part about that was when the DJ said I'll be right back with more music I'm the kid who always waited and I wanted to be him and I wanted to be more than him there was a fellow named Ken Hawkins who was the first black man that I saw on TV doing what I would eventually do and he had Parliament's Funkadelic the moments everybody Jackie Wilson everybody came on his show and of course they lip synced as best as they possibly could but they were there and it was black and it was almost like Canada like your show you can have as much black music as you want between Toronto well in Toronto for sure and a lot of cities across Canada now just because back in the disco day everybody had a disco show right and they all thought that was black but it wasn't and uh, in Toronto I always noticed when I would come down here on my way to Cleveland or coming back I would listen to the radio I would listen to BLK out of Buffalo which was always outstanding and I would listen to Dave Marston's Christmas show at at CFNY which was always amazing and I would listen to CFNY and I actually wanted to work at CFNY and then I would hear Headley on Q107 and then I'd hear Headley over on CFNY and I never heard him on CBC but I thought hmm there's something missing that missing thing I thought was possibly me if I could get there and uh, so I have no wasted time I'm always studying I'm always working I'm always trying to improve my craft my skill as a producer as a musician as a person, has a father, uh, has an artist, uh, which most people, oh shit, did I say that? No, I didn't say that. I <laughs> said it. I said it in your intro. I told everyone. Yes, you're... but no one's supposed to know because the album is done. The box set is out there, okay. but I will send you a track or two to play. Have you, got you? The Herb, have you got the Herb Alpert track? No. Have you got, oh, I'll send you some stuff then. Please I'll do. send you some stuff and I'll send you some stuff that I did during the much music period. I did six songs with a group called TC21 with the most incredible guitarist Tony Campbell my very good friend who's not well these days so wish him well please a group called Aishan People and I met him with Willie William and he was in Willie's band all the guys in Big Sugar were in Willie's band and Willie in Willie's band also was Jackie Matu because they came to Canada sort of together there was a guy named Carl Mullins and if you look at the picture of Jackie one of Jackie Matu's albums he's standing having a cigarette at the airport that's the day he leaves Jamaica 
America for Canada. Jackie wow. Mattoo being the being the second keyboard player for Studio One. The first was the great Monty Alexander, who I love and is my very good buddy. And uh, the second keyboard player was Jackie Mattoo. So when Monty left to go play with Frank Sinatra, Jackie came in, and Jackie was just magic. Uh, of course, his one of the claims to fame would be um, the song Armageddon Time, which he co-wrote for with Willie, originally done by the Soul Vendors, and it was called uh, The Real Rock, right? Uh-huh. The instrumental version was called The Real Rock. Willie Williams came along. I'll send you the Bob Dylan version of that, because we have Bob Dylan talking about that, okay? No way. And we have Bob Dylan talking about it. You hear the original song, and then you hear the new version that we did with Talking Twitch. So, yeah. And nobody has this stuff, because the way the music industry is and was, is that it, you know, it's sort of like it's sort of like Canada does with artists. They eat their young. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, in the crib, they eat their young. They're like, get the ketchup. They'll never make that music again. <laughs> and so I didn't want to be a part of that because I've seen more than enough artists get abused in this country. I didn't want to be a part of it, but I wanted to make the music. So I made the music. So I'll send you stuff and people will get that. But yes, I'll, there will be a box set. A pretty like It keeps growing, you know? <laughs> oh, it's going to be good, honey. It's going to be good when it's done. Well, this is this is just about done, and the film is one of the one of the steps in in doing that. So, what he's done, what Sean has done, is given us a platform again, given us a place, a reason to be, and he's also uh, reflecting as much as he could. And as much as he knew, because I work there and I don't know at a certain point when I left, didn't know much about it after that. I came back and stuff, but it was their time to do their thing. We set the, we set the mold. We made it. We put it together. We laid down the concrete. Now you have the floor or you have the trampoline kids go jump and they did be a good bad or indifferent i didn't watch it very much but this will give me a chance to see some of the stuff that i didn't watch like i met rick the temp yesterday who uh, i had just met one other time but we never had a conversation like yesterday what he hold on yeah we- yeah i wasn't working there when rick the temp was there i was i was gone by the time rick the temp was there baby. <laughs> oh yes 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 um but what he's done sean is really put us in a proper historical context as well the Canadian music industry would not be what it is without much music. There was Canadian content regulations that Pierre Juno put into action. That was one very important thing. That was so important because what happened was Canadian radio stations were forced. They didn't want to. They still don't want to. They want less Canadian content. And I say bullshit on that. Calling it bullshit. And they want less. But the government said, no, you've got to do these six or eight little features a day talking about Canadian artists, words and music features, where half words, half music. And they did them. And that helped. The next thing that came along that helped the industry uh, was Much Music in Canada. And Much Music put a face to the name and the sound. And it also welcomed everybody regardless of race, color, creed, gender, sexual orientation. We didn't care. Come in, relax, Relax, sit down, let's talk. Let's see what you got. If you made it, you made it. We're going to play your video. 
if you were a great performer, well, you're going to come in and perform. I was always a big advocate of the live performance and the next version of Soul in the City, the first version being the radio show, the second version being the TV show, and the next two versions were already written but never happened at much music uh, and may happen someplace else soon. Uh, they were all live performance shows, right? Because yeah. if you can't inspire a person to pick up an instrument, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. You know, if we cannot expire, inspire the next generation, then it's just BS, right? And it's just the exchange of money and power and all that stuff. I have no interest. My interest really lies in music. If you know me, I'm all music. I really don't care for the music business, although it is a necessary conduit that we have to go through. And we try at much music while artists were getting chopped up. We gave them an island of pleasure. They would come to us. MTV, they would go to because it was business. They would come to much music because they had been there or they had heard about it and they went, hey, one of the biggest compliments is when I asked Stanley Clark to come in and he brought in Stuart Copeland of the police, Jeff Beck and himself. Jeff Beck yes. didn't like doing interviews. Stuart Copeland did not like doing interviews. Five minutes into it, they turned to Stanley and they go, yeah, you were right. And it was a yeah, you were right about much music and it was about me and my whole life this is what I've been training for to sit across from Stanley Clark and Jeff Beck excuse me I got Beckola you know I got the Yardbirds okay Stanley Clark I remember going to see Weather Report open up for Return to Forever in Cleveland I went to the Agora the original Agora who's playing Return to Forever Jungle Waterfall we're dancing to Jungle Waterfall and uh, and the shadow of low, and it was uh, you know Cleveland was a wonderful musical incubator. Montreal was almost like a sister city musically to Cleveland. So when I went to Montreal, it felt like home. Toronto more foreign and kind of alien, but the building of much music made me comfortable, and that's why I did it. And the only reason why I stayed because I wasn't a Toronto guy. I always drove through Toronto. I couldn't. I finished university at Loyola. With a, with a degree in communications, uh, minors in drama, theater, English, and theology. <laughs> nice. Theology and the arts, mind you. Looking for God everywhere. Uh, you know, and I would come to Toronto. I, I couldn't get a job at a stereo store. <laughs> but I went to a stereo store to get a job. Lo and behold, who did I meet? Crack of Dawn, which is basically half of Messenger. Yeah. That's yeah. where I met Trevor and a couple of the guys and Trevor Shelton and uh, Trevor Daly, who is Richie Daly's brother from Third World, the bass player. Yes. And uh, so I met them. And Ishan People, big fan of Ishan People. That was Tony Campbell. We did six Hendrix songs in reggae. So imagine if Bob Marley met Jimi Hendrix, smoked a spliff, and what would they do? What we did. Oh, my gosh. And uh, so there's that. And uh, Sean has really put us in a proper place and time. And I think now the Order of Canada needs to get off his derriere and give us a uh, give us an award because not only do we change the Canadian music scene and industry uh, well the industry you don't really change the industry kind of ate its like I said ate its tail and is killing itself on a regular basis except for some really great Canadian labels like Just In Time that just celebrated a huge anniversary also True North which is doing the same yes. thing and some of those great Canadian labels and young Canadian labels along large labels 
labels are just kind of like, you know, they are what they are. You know, they, they make bacon and they make hamburgers and hope that people like the taste. And, um, but if they knew what they were doing, then, you know, then they would just produce hits, right? But they don't. So uh, we weren't a part of that per se, because they really didn't know what to do with us. They really had no idea what to do with us. And, and I would say, you know, John, grab that one. I'll grab this one. Let's throw them out. We just toss them out, you know, because we were there for the love of music. And I think that's what people will see in the film. And I think Canadians will share that love again with us because they did when we were there. And it was a shame that it could not continue in some sort of way that made sense. But I think it deserves a couple of Order of Canada's. I think one for John Martin, whose idea it was, who actually did the new music of which much music was an outgrowth thereof. The other would be for Nancy Oliver who was his partner in crime and nothing Nancy Oliver was the woman that made all of our dreams come true. No one could ever say no to Nancy Oliver and we were all there at the end because of her and John. And then Moses of course was the green lighter. He green lit it and Moses was just a wonderful character to, I would walk by the st- his office every Friday and go in and sit down with him and stuff like that and uh, we'd talk future tense we would talk about things that should happen that haven't happened and we just we we would dream much music was kind of like that I did okay what can I do now how can I do this I created a thing called the Soul Bowl I did Soul in the City which was the television version of the radio show yeah Rap, that was awesome Rap City Rap City was actually part of Soul in the City originally because Soul in the City was a six-hour radio show in Montreal, and it was on AM radio, and I was on FM radio, Shom FM, a balls to the wall rock and roll, great rock yes. and roll station. Love that station. And uh, I would finish my, I, on Saturday, I would do a shift from 11 to 4, have an hour dinner, and then the next hour, I'd be getting my two cases, my two seal tests crates of records two or three crates because whenever I DJ I would travel me and my partner Stan Darville we would travel with 13 cases of records and then one big box of 45s uh, wow. and and so I would bring some of that to the studio I would also go to Pierre Music get my new music Rock on Stock Dutchie's uh, the, the Record Peddler was it the Record Peddler no the Record Peddler was in Toronto Dutchie's Record Cave was in Montreal I would go all these stores pick up my records and uh, go into the studio and I would spontaneously combust every Saturday from 6 until midnight and nice. everybody was on that show from Terry Lewis and Jimmy Jam I phoned him at home Gladys wow. Knight Tina Turner on her comeback uh, Stevie Wonder canceled his next interview so he could continue to talk to me uh, and I edited his record there's a record called The Crown and The Crown is an amazing 10 minute epic with him and Gary Bird, Gary Bird being another DJ that I didn't hear, but he was a legendary DJ out of New York. Uh, he yeah. was sort of like the godfather of, of rap. And back then it was called rap before it became hip hop. Hip hop after Run DMC, rap before Run DMC. And just around the time of rock.
black box. It was still rap. But, you know, it was a while before, even though, even though Sugar Hill Gang had come out and been, been a big hit. There was no moniker of hip hop. And we did a thing called Breakdance 84 in Montreal, which was incredible. It's going to be documented in the roots of rap in Quebec. I would spontaneously combust and have the best time on radio that you could have with your clothes on. <laughs> so when I went to Much Music and I thought about Much Music and I went down and I tried out, I did my demo tape at Shome one night with Dave McNally, who did the film Coyote Ugly. He was a friend and I had done an edit for him. I'm an editor of music and stuff. I do a lot of different things. And uh, he owed me a favor for doing that. So when I needed a demo tape, he came by one night and I told a story uh, while I was there. And I turned one way and talked to the camera, turned back and did my job. That was it. Send it to them. They said, come down. First day I walk in, I hadn't been there for 15 minutes and Run DMC walks in. And they said, that's your first interview. I know them know of them. I made the record a hit in Montreal. Rockbox was one of my favorite tunes. We killed that shit in Montreal. It was, And they had already been to Montreal on tour and stuff like that. So that was cool. And uh, that was, wasn't cool. It was fucking great. <laughs> bleep, bleep, bleep. And, uh, and, very ex- and very exciting because everybody that I could look at around the room, when I looked at them, they looked at me, they all felt about music the same way. They loved it so it was internal love to external love that was already there and if it wasn't well there was a lot of music there for you you could find your place in music you could whether you liked erica and cindy lopper whether you like jd and led zeppelin whether you like christopher ward and the residents and city limits there was so much variety there and in terms of black music it was treated equally it was that feeling in the room that sacred sort of place of grace that allowed us to do what if we could figure it out we could do it. I invented the Christmas tree toss. I wrote the first version of the electric circus. And then when I left Monica sort of and, you know, made it kind of hers, which was fine. It was written and produced for her. And I was asked to do that. Rap City, Soul in the City. Uh, I had a great uh, associate, a great producer in Michelle Geister, who was a very big fan of the music and, yes. and all of that. My hip hop pedigree or knowledge was pretty big because I have I was a DJ as well I've been DJing since like late 60s in high school you know when we called it sock cops and stuff like that so there was no record that I didn't have if it was coming out I wanted to hear everything and have everything you had to want it in terms of music, in terms of my commitment to music and Sean's commitment to the film. And everybody in that room had that same feeling and they all did. And you felt safe in that place and in that room at 99 Queen Street and even more so at 299 Queen Street. And I think the film will reflect the love that we had for music and the friends that we were of music and how we changed the musical taste of a nation. And that's what much music was like. It was sort of like going to Granny's musical house and you could open up any drawer in the kitchen or any shelf and it would be another form of music that wasn't going to hurt you and you might learn something in the process and you know what it might inspire you to do something that you don't think because there were so many different areas of music for people to work in that wasn't up front and the cool thing about much music is that we exposed a lot of those positions and those people who were looked upon as being on the fringe or the outside or the the crew uh, or on the periphery 
jury, they were always brought in. And that's what we did with the audience. We always brought you in on the joke. We did not joke and leave you out. If we were there, you were there. And that was, uh, and that's amazing. And I think, I haven't seen the film, film, but I'm hoping, and I'm sure that Sean captured that because if you look at any of the much music stuff, feeling just jumps off, you know, and it's so different from everything done today. Everything done today looks like stationary plastic, you know, as we were fluid. We were completely fluid and there was nothing we couldn't do. I mean, we'd be out of shots talking because why? They didn't move the camera yet. Move the camera. Let's go. And the crew went with us and they were fantastic people to work with. The best crew in television. And uh, I love each and every one of them because they were also, without them, there was no me and I would not be talking to you now. And uh, they also let me expand my talent as much as I possibly could there uh, before I left. I don't know how much of that is in the film, but this is also, I think, the first of many films that you will see about much music because this opens the floodgates to give people license like myself and other people who were there because we all have something that we wanted to show. I have something in terms of that which uh, is going to include everybody that I'm working on. So, But I can't speak about that because it's just not there yet. But it, it'll be, uh, if it does happen, you'll know that I did it. <laughs> you'll of course we will. You'll definitely know. I already know I was just going to give you the floor because... You're you and you're you the know, icon. I mean, that's, that, I don't know I don't about all that qu- icon stuff, but you know, oh, come on, I mean, all, look, please. look um, I work real hard. I was just, I spent about two months out West. I have a, I want to invite everybody to Slocan, British Columbia. It's about eight hours from Vancouver, about 45 minutes from Nelson and Castlegar. And uh, we do a festival out there for about a thousand people this year. I curate the festival. I host the festival, but I play at the festival too with oh, Henry man. Brown, with Henry Brown and HB, uh, it used to be called HB Concept. And the thing about Henry Brown was that he was one of the first black artists that we played and he was from Vancouver because nobody had a video. Michael Jackson didn't have a video when we started, you know? And uh, so he sent a video out and we played it and it was fun and it was funny. And Henry is Jimi Hendrix's cousin and he introduced me to Uncle Al and I have the privilege of calling Al Hendrix Uncle Al. Wow. And, uh, and we just hang out and so he's playing at this festival with a lot of great blues musicians. I'm not sure who's coming this coming year, but it's going to be great. Look for the Silent Partners, uh, which if you haven't heard the Silent Partners, check them out. They're just wonderful. And uh, come to Slocan, come to BC. You'll find me. You'll have a great time, but we're going to be doing some stuff, not just in BC, but across the country. And uh, Living Colors got some great new stuff for you, and they're coming back, and I'm going to go hang with them. So uh, I'm sort of working on that, working on the book. And and um, it should be a fun, fun year. And it begins with this movie. And uh, we'll be out on the road 13 dates. We're doing okay. across Canada, starting on the 22nd in Toronto. Uh, then it goes uh, then it uh, goes to Montreal on the 17th, I believe. And then St. John's. And I'll be on the 17th of, uh, of October. And then we'll do October. And then we finish in November, I believe, in Winnipeg. Uh, but I hear there's a couple of other dates that maybe... I'm hoping that may be added on because we were the nation's music station. And I want to go everywhere, yes, you are. shake everybody's hand, give them a hug and say, you know what? Thank you for letting us 
be ourselves. And, uh, you know, and Kitchener's favorite son, Tony, Tony is in there, Tony Young. Him and Basil, I'm sure, are in the film. And uh, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to it. And um, I used to play at the roller rink in Kitchener, okay? I used to come and DJ there in Kitchener, oh Waterloo. At the, I don't, <laughs> forgot what it was called, but I used to come to the roller rink and DJ. And I remember Super the Skate request. Seven. Super Skate 7. And I remember the request. The requests were, wait, everybody's favorite. Kiss was oh god, I don't care, just one, just one, and then that it was like so rude and so much fun. That and also Spirit of the West, you know, a Spirit of the West. But after Spirit of the West, there was another song that we would play, and uh, it was like you know, and I'm saying, You want me to play the really, you know, this is your mom here, (laughs) sort of like that. But it was so much fun, and I still go out and DJ. I still go out and DJ on a a regular basis. I'm the opening act for the Spoons and I go out and sing with them a little bit too. But uh, yeah, I go out and I I play with people when I can and DJ when I can. We also do weddings, bar mitzvahs, divorce parties. You call us, we'll come. (laughs) And I work with the Lincolns, which is the oldest R&B and soul band in Canada featuring the one, the only Prakash John and its incredible son Jordan John and uh, they are they are great as well and um, I'm just happy Sean has done the film and I'm yeah. glad Erica called me and I'm glad people are beginning to get excited it's Canada so people don't get too excited but they get you know just excited enough but I think after people see it they will be excited I look I'm excited just because it was done on something that I did um, much music made an impact I made an impact I'm quite proud of what we did and we are a special it's a special time for Canadian music I think I think music in the world would be different I think music in Canada would be different therefore we deserve all the Junos we never got yeah and and we also deserve that order of Canada and with a blowtorch we're going to cut off a piece for everybody for that thousand people who are on staff everybody gets a piece and then they can order their own if they want but I think that we deserve why because we did the job I'm hearing you talk and I, I'm in awe and I, I think that there's some things you need to fully understand about the music industry and what you did. You actually changed the history of music so don't don't downplay yourself. Everything that happened was the goal. I didn't come yeah. and none of this was there was none of this that I did that was by accident. All this stuff I trained like an Olympic athlete or worse to do what I did from the point when I was a kid in bed till now. So none of this stuff was an accident. All of this was a very well laid out concrete plan of my life and work that I wanted to do. And I feel very fortunate. If it wasn't much music, I would have met someone else that wanted to do this sort of thing. Absolutely. And, but none of this, uh, you know, was boys and girls, this was not a mistake. (laughs) You know, so that's what I, you know, because sometimes people treat it like oh yes you all were very lucky no that was work dude 
that was work. Some people got there for different reasons. You know, Erica was there for a different reason, still a music fan. Monica was around for a whole different reason, still a music fan. It was the fact that we were music fans that bound us together, sort of like the glue. And after that, you did what you wanted to do. But my part of all of this, it was planned. It was it was the devil was in the details and it was a well laid out plan that I think my mother is proud of. And uh, so I also put myself in the place of music. So black music didn't have a voice, but I did. Yep. You know, I mean, gypsy music didn't have a voice, but I did. You know, uh, Sarah McLaughlin, I knew from Jump when I saw her come in. I knew her from Vancouver. I had worked in Vancouver at Quintessence Records and they had Sarah McLaughlin, Skinny Puppy, uh, all these bands, Powder Blues, Doug and the Slugs. There's a reason why I'm in the Doug and the Slugs film. I had the single two days after it came out and I put it on every sound system in Montreal in every club that I did music. And they called me up and said, yeah, we were kind of a hit out east a bit and we don't know why. I said, well, when you say out east, what do you mean? You know, because <laughs> in Montreal you were a hit, baby. I know that. And the original version of the song. So I'm quite pleased to be a part of what could be called the Canadian music industry or the Canadian music scene and to have had a, a part what I'm really happy about on the 28th of this month. I am inducting into the Canada's Walk of Fame Pagliaro, the first Canadian artist, really the first wow. rock and roll artist for sure yeah. that I heard when I came to Canada in a cab coming from the airport to the residence and he was one of the first to have hits in English and French whether it was the same song or not he did it Pagliaro changed stuff and he's a great songwriter he's one of my favorites J'entends frappe forever baby Canton fait l'amour yeah I'm there rain showers you know loving you ain't easy come on yeah I mean one of the greatest one of the greatest I don't even think he's got a Juno he's got the Governor General's Award but I'm giving him an award. I've been asked to give him an award because he's from Quebec and really so am I. I remember when you would come on and we didn't have cable mm-hmm. and I'd make my sister stand there with the rabbit ears, right? <laughs> Just to watch. And I don't think I ever told you this, but you're a big part of the reason why I went into broadcasting, right? Ah, okay. So I'm the reason why you're not eating. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> oh, yeah. I've been hustling since I came out of the womb, my friend. <laughs> well, it is it is a hustle and I, I really appreciate that. That's a very kind and wonderful thing to say. Are you having a good time doing it though. I love it. I have accomplished so much and I'm not done yet by the grace of God. I'll just going to keep going and going and going and learning. Dude. I'm still I'm still learning from you. It doesn't well, end. You know, it doesn't there's stop. A lot more. Yeah, it doesn't stop. And uh, yesterday, someone, Eric, said, you know, I always had the feeling that you wanted to teach us something as well. Well, you can entertain people and you can teach them as well. Sure. And that's where you, that's what it was about. It was about uh, bringing people together. Come to my party and everybody is equal there. That's it. You know, that's it. And much music, there was no black, there was no white. There was, yeah. there was situations like where we played by 
by the time I get to Phoenix by uh, public enemy, Moses was really upset because it was, he felt that it was anti-Semitic. Well, at yeah. that point, by the time Moses was upset, I had already handled it on the air a week or so before. And Chuck Chuck D was in the Simon Wiesenthal, Wiesenthal Center to learn. And if you can't talk and if you can't learn, what's the use? Most radio and television is a one-way thing. Some job going, hey, buy this, do this, do that, blah, 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 all of that. It's a one-way thing. And they want you to like what they want and they play 40 songs and stuff like that. We weren't that. We also changed the face of radio. And radio mm-hmm. could use a facelift again. I got oh, to yeah. My son's some 20-something. He's a 20-something out there. And he's uh, doing quite well for himself. He's a performance artist. And nice. a wonderful a wonderful young man. And to have a, a child that you can be proud of and look at his art, how creative it is. His mother is an artist and I, I am as well. So I'm quite proud. And I'd like to do more stuff that makes my family proud and pleases the audience that's out there. And we can all still continue to learn together. So come out, see the movie. We'll be doing a Q&A after all of that and talking to folks. And I hope to be everywhere. Uh, if I can't be there, I'll come back and be there. But, you know, I'll come to Kitchener and hang out. You know, you just got to tell me where I'm eating. <laughs> I will. I'll set it up. I will yeah, set it up. You don't no worry problem. about that. That's you got good family here. Yeah, yeah. That's, that, that's good for me. I can get a home-cooked meal. I'm good with that. You know what I mean? And if I can talk, I'm going to be talking to students uh, at universities, media schools, and stuff like that uh, about media. Uh, and um, so far, tentatively, tentatively, the book is called Race, Radio, and Records. You know, Ooh, the three things hot. that rule my life, race, radio, and records. So hot. I think, I think, you know, but it's going to be a good time. So come out, see the film. We hope to see you. Gonna, are you coming to it in Toronto? Or? I'm going to try to come to Toronto, but I think, um, oh, it's, I th- yeah, I'm going to go to the Hamilton one November 4th. Okay, well, I should I, I should see you there. Okay. Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, okay, cool. I just want to tell you something, though, really quickly. Did you realize that every time you wore a scarf on much, <laughs> the next day, the mall, like those are den and like, but they didn't have that back then. Those stores, the bay or whatever, people would be walking out with the same damn scarf with the same color. And it, I'd just be like, what is happening here? Like, well, you started I a thought, cult following with that. With I, those I, I scarves. No, I I didn't know. And a lot of the scarves you couldn't buy because some of them were made. I had one particular scarf that was incredible that Nancy, I loaned it to Nancy and she left it on a plane coming back from Russia, you know, and then then my sister would make scarves for me. Uh, My sister started to make clothes for me, but my younger sister started to knit and stuff like that. And it was after much music, she started to make these things for me and they were all quite unique but the reason why I wore scarves I will tell you this was because we had no clothing budget and I had a limited budget for clothing because I had a limited salary a very limited salary and I was in radio and in radio um, you know I did things like breakdance 84 and stuff like that where I had to start to dress so I did start to dress in Montreal in Montreal I would have my clothes made like from head to toe leather suede all that kind of stuff Linda Morris said she was perfect. The scarf thing was just a thing we did in Montreal to stay warm but also if you didn't have a big budget, a scarf would change an outfit. You put on a scarf, that thing you wore yesterday didn't look like that thing you wore yesterday. So it was really pretty practical for me. But 
but I do love them and I still have I have a beautiful one that I can't wait to wear that I'm going to wear at some of the uh, and some of my sister's scarves that she made me God rest her soul I'm, uh-huh. I'm going to wear them and uh, like that and maybe I'll even give one or two away but I guess I should have a Michael Williams scarf line is this what you're telling me yes actually that is what I am telling you I don't like okay. I'll help you I will help you well I, if I, you know somebody that can make them you know I mean they got to be quality stuff and I think they have to say on them cool but is it Michael Williams cool exactly you know? now you're following me <laughs> now you're following me definitely but I did not know that thank you for telling me uh, and uh, you know I, I used to get oh he's gay he's wearing scarves oh, well, brother. If I was then fine you know I wouldn't have a problem with that but I'm but I'm not but okay I also one thing I will say about what I wore was that all of my clothes were Canadian long before it became popular so nice. when fashion television started one of the first stories they did was on me because my designer Linda Morissette great designer mm-hmm. in Montreal made all my pants my shirts my jackets I go to the Junos everything I'd wear I would be like dressed and everybody else would be in suits and I would be dressed and they would go ooh the best dress well I better be you know <laughs> so like that but it was uh, it was kind of interesting and so I still am a can- fan of Canadian fashion I'm actually uh, going to have some shirts made in a while and I'll check with the shirt people if they do scarves you know but I would almost like them to be individual like numbered yeah. you know what I mean so each yes. one could be different like art like yeah, art yeah yeah I would like it to be art that's why I haven't put out any of the music or the book yet because I want it to be art I just don't want it to be just a book or just a record it yeah. has to be art and it also has to connect itself and then connect you to me that's what it comes yeah. down to Michael you are so refreshing to Thank speak you. to and Thank you. our conversation is not finished um, okay. I, I would love to have you on and on and on to talk about whatever you want to talk about because you're very hey, insightful no problem and yeah yeah Uh-oh. wow Junior are you uh, leaving okay I guess it's time to be over Junior just left which means it's time to feed him and take him for a walk so <laughs> I gotta walk Junior the dog and feed him but uh, Sandra really thank you so very much for spending this hour or so I'm sure Absolutely. we probably went went over the time but you'll work it out and stuff and I'll I'd work it out a copy of this when it's done absolutely absolutely all right all right, all right Mike. thank you god bless you too bye-bye, bye-bye. It for tonight's Black Exposed. Thanks to Uncle Williams from Much Music, creator of Soul of the City, and DJR Double. Thank you to my Black Exposed fam. September 19th, Eric Alper, publicist to the stars, a national TV music correspondent. He co hosts. Eric has done publicity for over 155 Juno nominated and winning artists. He's going to expose the state of the music industry. He's going to chat about his career and he's going to give publicity advice to emerging artists. And September 26th, Alan Cayenne, the first black president of Oktoberfest. He joins us to talk about what's happening around Oktoberfest. You can find me on my Facebook and Instagram at Black Exposed Entertainment and at Sandra Tyler. I'm Sandra Tyler. Celebrate your blackness in every shade. Stay blessed. 
good night. I know I guess you know when I ask if you still love me. Just a product of my experience. Learning to love myself through loving you. Never had someone show me how to improve. Trying to make you leave just to beat you to the punch. But somehow you still, you still. Put up with all my shit Nothing before you exist Nothing before you exist Nothing before you exist I'm convinced that heaven exists Cause nothing before you exist Nothing before you exist Hey No, I'm blessed and highly favored Asking God to let me see another day I'm blessed I don't have much I usually learn the hard way Gotta count Highly favored Every time that I wake up No, I'm not worthy But I got a purpose There ain't no Stay prayed up every day, every day, every day, every day I wake up. Every day, every day, every day before my makeup. Every day, every day, every day, yeah. Every day, every day, every day. I know I'm blessed and highly favored. Asking God to let me see another day. Like every day, every day, every day, every day. Every day, every day, every day Gotta stay prayed up